The book of Colossians calls us to live a Christ-soaked life. We're taking the whole month to think about that one phrase, Christ-soaked. It's a good one. There's a lot of ways to think about it. Last week, we introduced the idea of a sponge, and that's a very good one. But there's a second image that's equally as compelling for me. It's somewhat of a synonym to sponge, too, and that's baptism, especially immersion, the way that we Baptists do it. Think about what baptism is and does. It's a covenant, an act between you and God, and it's you telling God you want to be Christ-like. It's you saying, I've seen enough in me. I don't want to do this like this anymore. I want to live like Christ. I want to die to my old self, which is often why we go backwards into the water. I want to wash the sins of old clean, which is why we use water. And I want to rise again in new life, which is when we emerge soaked from head to toe. I mean, you could say that baptism is the ceremonial act of becoming Christ-soaked. But baptism doesn't mark the beginning of your faith. As Baptists, we use a phrase called believer's baptism. I mean, think about that one. You have to be a believer before you can be baptized. So if I talk to someone prior to being baptized, I often pray with them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior into their life or into their heart. Some call this praying the sinner's prayer, and that's fine. For me, it's about inviting Christ into who you are. I'm telling you all of this because of what we just read in Colossians 2. The author is writing to entice this church community to go all in, to be Christ as best as you can imitate. And then he starts grabbing metaphors to help explain what he's talking about. So I want to look at these verses again. It may be helpful for you to follow along, starting in verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. So out of the gate, the author re-emphasizes what we learned last week in chapter 1. Christ is the fullness of God. All of God, all of creation, all of everything dwells bodily in Christ. And when we come to the fullness of God too, we can tap in to that Christness. We can access the divine. But how? Verse 12. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Now keep in mind, this is all metaphor, but it's a powerful one. How do we access the divine and become Christ-soaked? We bury ourselves and get baptized and become raised again in the faith and power of God. Baptism soaks us in the power of God. And we're not talking about 
real water here. And that's what makes this such a rich metaphor. To be Christ-soaked is to go all in, all the way under. And we take on the fullness of how the deity dwells. And our bodies become Christ-soaked, which gives us access to the divine. I just love this. It's such a provocative thought. Look at verses 13 and 14. And when you were dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of the flesh, God made you alive together with him who forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Well, now the author adds a second and third metaphor here. We were dead in sin our flesh was dead too. But baptism allows us to be spiritually circumcised. There is no good way to talk about circumcision without talking about circumcision. So I'll let you Google it and wrestle with that on your own. It is exactly what you think. But I will say this. Essentially, And somewhat grotesquely, the writer is saying that we need to cut off the parts of our body that represent the sinful, worldly things. But he's not saying do that literally. It's a metaphor. And what remains is the fullness of how the deity dwells and moves and lives among us and makes us what was dead alive. And then a third metaphor is he jumps us into a courtroom. Becoming Christ-soaked erases our past mistakes, exonerates us like as if we were in court. And how does this happen? You read the last half of verse 14. He set these things aside, nailing them to the cross. So, Christ gives us the ability to become Christ-like. We take on that privilege through an act of baptism, which is a symbolic moment that we declare to the world that we want to be a place where the fullness of the deity of God dwells. And this is just another beautiful way to say we should live a life that is Christ-soaked. Colossians is so rich to me. Everything we do, the actions we take, the thoughts we think, the friendships we maintain, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, what we give our attention to in our minds, it all gets infused and baptized and saturated with Christ. We get to live in and for Christ. Making the way around college campuses is an article and a lot of college students are reading this. It's written by the late Stephen Kreitz. He was a former professor at Yale Divinity. The article that all the college students are reading right now, it's called this, The Narrative Quality of Experience. It is seminal work in the study of narrativity. And I know it sounds incredibly boring, but it is anything but. What Dr. Kreitz argues is that our experiences shape our understanding of faith. 
To prove his point, Kreitz uses an illustration. Imagine two circles or two spheres that are ones on top of the other. Just two circles that aren't touching. The bottom circle represents our worldly life and what he calls the mundane. The top circle represents what he calls the sacred. So if you were to draw them, you would draw them where they don't touch. The mundane, it sits under the sacred. It desperately wants to encounter the sacred, but it'll never be able to on its own. But luckily, every once in a while, the sacred comes down to the mundane. Kreitz says that our experiences are always trapped in the mundane. Nothing we do can allow us to escape into the sacred on our own. But occasionally, the sacred comes to us and we experience something not of this world and we are forever changed by it. Baptism is a sacred encounter. If you go back in your mind, Think about the rolling waters when you gave your life to Christ, the feeling, the experience, the hope. You woke up that morning in a world that was full of mundane things, but at some point that morning, heaven came to you, and you emerged from the baptismal waters feeling an all-shaking reality that the sacred is now with you, and you are changed because of it. And just like when Jesus was baptized, when you came up out of the water, the sacred heavens opened and God entered into your mundane reality and whispered the same thing that was said to Jesus. You are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. When you gave your life over to Christ, your soul heard these words. And whether you realize it consciously or not, the sacred had entered into you and it is still telling you, you are my beloved. Go, be blessed. Ironically though, we fail to hear this. We don't know how to receive this from God because a lot of times our minds and our hearts are trapped in the mundane. One of my favorite theologians is Henry Nouwen, and he says this, The feeling of being blessed is not a feeling we generally have about ourselves. We've lived many hard moments in life, moments in which we felt more cursed than blessed. And I can say the same. In fact, I suspect that many of us suffer from a deep sense of being cursed. That's his quote. From time to time, Nouwen's words have haunted me because they're so true for all of us. I have felt victim to a world that I cannot change, and you probably have too. It's much easier to claim the negativity of life and declare that we are cursed or the world is cursed than it is to claim a belovedness from the sacred. There are seasons in life where for whatever reason, a lot of us just choose to be miserable. We choose to feel cursed. And when this happens, we can be rest assured that we have been lost in the land of the mundane. And that's why we need the sacred. That's why we need reminding of things like our baptism. 
These memories remind us that we're not wretched, we're not broken or gross or dark souls trapped in the world. We are more. We may struggle. We may fail. We may hurt and at times we may break. But that's the moment the sacred bursts in and we're reminded that the curse that we have felt is never the final act because we are also blessed. We are also beloved as we are for who we are because we have become Christ-soaked. So here's something I think the author of Colossians would agree with and would probably even say if we're alive today. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you less. You have become Christ-soaked. The old has been circumcised, washed away, born new. Whatever metaphor works for you, use it, because you aren't cursed. You're blessed. Christ has erased the record that stood against you with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He allowed you to be spiritually circumcised so you could then be the body for which the heavenly deity dwells. I just love that. And this is another beautiful reason why we should be and why we should continue to be and to live a Christ-soaked life.